there, everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast, where we discuss just about everything that has to do with being a Christian homeschooling family. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. Today's episode is incredible, for I'm talking with Isabella McMillan, who grew up in communist Romania. I asked Isabella to share her experience and help us all better understand exactly what living under communism really means for families. You don't want to miss this, and I encourage you to bring your children in to listen as well, for through her story, we're going to see how God's hand is never shortened that it cannot save, and how no plan of man can ever thwart God's plans. I can't tell you how excited I am to have Isabella join me. The Teach Them Diligently podcast couldn't exist without the partners we work with, and I hope you'll join us in thanking them. This month, we're really focusing on a ministry that our family has been involved with for years and that impacts children and consequently the adults who love them all around the globe. Did you know that you can be part of the Great Commission simply by packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox gift? Your gift of school supplies, toys, and hygiene items will open the door for children around the world to encounter the love of Christ for the very first time. Around a thousand churches are being planted each year, even among unreached people groups, as communities are transformed by the power of the gospel. National Collection Week is November 15th through 22nd. To learn more, visit SamaritansPurse.org forward slash OCC. I really do hope you'll make Operation Christmas Child a large part of your family's holiday plan. This ministry allows us all to play a role in the work God is doing all around the world. I count it such a privilege to pack those boxes each year, and the impact that ministry had on my own children's hearts as they were growing up was profound. Get more details inside the TTD app or go to SamaritansPurse.org forward slash OCC. And now, won't you join me in welcoming Isabella McMillan to the podcast today? I am so excited to have Isabella McMillan from Operation Christmas Child back on the podcast with us today. Uh, If you've been listening to us, you probably heard Isabella's testimony and her story last year about a gift that she got that was a very specific answer to prayer and how God used that in a way um, that truly changed her life and set her on an entirely different trajectory. So, so exciting. I'll link to that podcast because you do not want to miss hearing that part of her story. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's always a joy to talk to Isabella, and I can't wait to have her on again today and to discuss all kinds of stuff in relation to how God's hand is always at work. Um, and it's such a, a pertinent message for where we are today in this country here in America, um, but also what we see happening all around the world. So Isabella, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me back. So excited to to be here once again with all of you. Well, can you tell us before we dive in, and for those who may not have met you last year on the program, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, just where you're from um, and, and what you do at Operation Christmas Child now, and then we'll kind of back into how you got there. 
Sounds good. Well, I my story starts back in Romania. So I am originally from Romania, but I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, and I have the privilege to serve with Operation Christmas Child as a national spokesperson, traveling the country, going to different events, uh, going to different churches where Operation Christmas Child is kind of put in the forefront, just simply to encourage people that this ministry is reaching lives. It's not just about a shoebox, but truly about the message behind a shoebox. And I also have the privilege to serve as the Speakers Bureau Manager within Operation Christmas Child full-time. And what that means is that I oversee all the spokespersons who speak on behalf of the ministry at about 2,500 events uh, every year. And I have about 49 of those amazing people on my team. So I am really grateful for where the Lord has placed me within this ministry. That is awesome. And I know every one of the speakers, spokespersons um, that I have gotten the privilege of talking to from you guys has absolutely challenged my heart and Mm -hmm. just encouraged me in so many ways, just hearing their stories, hearing how God worked through this ministry, hearing, actually getting a different complexion of history. I I was talking to Alex a week or so ago, and we were talking about what had happened in Rwanda back when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And hearing his story of living through that was so different than my perception of it over here. So it is so impactful to hear from people who have, who've actually, their life experiences have been so different than ours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And I know with with Alex specifically, you know, he's a dear, dear friend of mine and I love his story and truly hearing what it meant for him to live through it versus what we typically read in Mm. history books. And I'm hoping that that's uh, kind of what what we can bring to the table here today as well, uh, as we will have the opportunity to talk about communism back in Romania and what it looked like living through it versus what it looks like reading it through history books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Last week, for those of you who are listening in, I had the privilege of hearing Isabella address a couple of thousand college students. Um, And she started her address. I actually, you know, I thought I've heard her story. I know where she's going. But she started her address actually talking about communism and her life experience there in Romania. And I thought that is such a powerful story, especially for these kids who Um, are really just being fed an awful lot of lies about the beauty of communism and socialism and all of these isms Mm. that um, are kind of being twisted as they're being presented to young people today. So I have asked her to come on today and actually share a little bit of what the reality of living in communism really was for a young child and her family in Romania. So Isabella, if you would kind of take us back and, and give us a feel for what that was like, I would certainly be grateful. Absolutely. Well, when I was born, it was already communism, right? So for me growing up, that was the only thing I knew. I only knew life living through communism. So I didn't know anything different. I didn't know how to compare it to anything else. And what communism meant for us specifically, and what I understood as a child, as I recall it, were a couple different things. First, I do remember very clearly my most vivid memories memories from my childhood, just watching my parents huddled around our small kitchen table in our tiny little two-bedroom apartment where we lived and strategizing day after day how they're going to feed us the next day. 
So my parents, they, they worked in a factory their entire lives, 14 hour days, six days a week. We only had Saturdays off. Uh, I mean, Sundays off during communism. We worked on Saturdays. We went to school on Saturdays. So that was something very different. We didn't know what a five day work week looked like. So it was for us six days a week going to school or going to work. And my parents, when they got married, the government actually assigned them where they are going to live Hmm. for the rest of their lives and where they're going to work for the rest of their lives. So they were assigned to the city where I grew up. They were assigned to the factory where where they worked their entire lives until they retired recently. So that really was just how things worked in communism. The government told you where you are going to live, where you are going to work. And because of that, generations did not ever learn how to actually make decisions. Wow. And that is something that has to this day a ripple effect on people in Romania. So my parents, they are now in their 70s, uh, and they still really, really struggle with how do I make decisions for myself? Every decision, every life decision was made by the government. Even things like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to get from the grocery store? Why you didn't have to make any decisions there. Like we do today, we walk into a grocery store today and we have options to choose from. Our grocery stores were nothing but shelves and shelves and shelves of books that were record books on the people who belonged to that grocery store. So we were assigned based on our address to uh, the closest grocery store. And anytime there was something at the grocery store, which was rare, we would stand in long lines. And then when we got to the front of the line, you had to tell them your name, your address. They found the big book on the shelf with that particular address. They pulled it out. They turned to the page where your family's registry, let's say, was. And there they basically had to input how much we got of what and what was our portion. So when I say portion, uh, the government defined what was the portion of any kind of food that we should have had. For example, we had a portion of four eggs for a family of four for a month. So basically we had an egg per person for an entire month. We had a kilogram of sugar for a family of four for a month. But we actually were very, very blessed in the sense that we lived in a city that where we had a bread factory. And that bread factory produced just enough bread every single day that we were guaranteed, if nothing else, we were guaranteed most days that we will get at least our portion of bread. And the portion of bread was a quarter of a round loaf. So for the four of us, there was four of us in our family. I have a brother who is three years older than me and mom and dad. We got an entire little round loaf of bread almost every day. So that was always a highlight for us. And because the bread factory was right there, 
our bread was always fresh and sometimes even warm when it came out from the factory. So that was a huge highlight for us every single day uh, when we got to pick up our portion of bread. So the government literally was trying to control everything around us. Let's say, Leslie, if you wanted to go to a store and buy a new coat, you needed a new coat uh, for that year. You went to a store and 23 million people all across this big, beautiful country of Romania, no matter where, in what city, in what town, in what village you went to, whatever store, you only could buy the exact same coat in the exact same color. Wow. So we all looked alike. We all looked the same because we all wore the same clothes. We all wore the same headbands at school, the same uniform. Everything was exactly the same. So we were not encouraged to be our own individual created in God's image. We were all supposed to look like little soldiers looking alike um, and being yes men to to basically the, the dictator who was governing over our country. But the biggest thing that the government was trying to absolutely make sure of is that God's name was not known in our country because God would have been a higher authority than the dictator himself. And so he wanted to make sure that God's name is not known. Churches were not allowed. You couldn't just say the name of God out loud because that could cost your life. You could get in really big trouble. And you definitely couldn't own a Bible because that could definitely cost your life. Your family could disappear. You could disappear. A lot of people disappeared among the years. And that was just something that was held under taboo. And because of that, we grew up not knowing about God. So that's really the big picture of all the different aspects of how I have seen communism control everything, even as a child. Wow. Well, I was, you know, I, (laughs) this morning I got up and was doing my devotions like I normally do and was just really, really struggling just to, Mm -hmm. to be very honest, the noise of the world, the, the, you know, the news cycles and the, everything that's coming at me. I, I really just had to turn over to the Lord. God, I can't even focus on your word this morning because of all of these things that are crashing in my mind and the problems that people are having and all these things that that so many of us, so many of us deal with. Um, but through a, a random chain of events during my devotions time, I ended up seeing a comment on a passage in Isaiah, the uh, Isaiah 40, where it says, have you not heard? Have you not seen? Uh, mm-hmm. Someone I don't know um, commented in the Bible app, just got my intention in such a way On that verse, she highlighted it and she said, it's like God is saying, you don't know much about me, do you? And God just used that to get my attention so much. That whole chapter talks about how God holds the water in the palm of his hands. He turns the heart of rulers. He, it goes, lists his power in so many ways. And then as she so eloquently put it, he said, you don't know much about me. If you're so, if you're striving and you're so worried and you're so concerned, you're not focusing on me. And as I read that, not only did God convict my heart about the fact that I'm living as if I don't know much about him, but I also um, was excited because one of the things that I am so grateful for in your story is 
the way that we can see that no matter how much communism tried to control and hold down the name of God, and, and we see this in China, we see this in Korea, we see this in all of these closed countries, no matter how hard they try to hold down the spread of the gospel and, and the, the worship of God, God is still in control. And, mm. and I know that he, you found that to be true because of a hole in your floor. Um, so can you tell us a little bit how, how you saw the fact that even in the darkness of communist Romania, God was still at work and how you as a young child started the journey to become or to come to know him? Absolutely. No, I love that God is in the details. I love that, you know, in John 1, 5, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And I, I think that verse came to life in such an unexpected way because God is not bound by by governments and he is not bound uh, by borders and and darkness and especially spiritual darkness. He can penetrate spirit, spiritual darkness. And that is what he did in my life in a very, very unexpected way. My brother and I, we used to spend a lot of time home alone and uh, from a very, very young age, from the time I was three and he was six years old, mom and dad, they had no choice but to work in this factory for 14-hour days. And I want to be very clear that our listeners do understand that my parents were not neglectful of us. This is just how everyone did life around us. So they trained us how to um, cross a busy street with no stoplight and and go to our school building. I just started preschool. My brother just started first grade. Um, we had a key around our neck and they they taught us how to use that key to let ourselves into our fourth floor apartment. Um, and they taught us how to, um, you know, be at home on our own, basically, until they got home every night at 6.30 after school was over. So my brother and I, we became very fast, independent in our lives, and we depended on each other a lot, and we spent a lot of time together. Well, one of those days when we were at home, after school, we already did our homework, we finished everything we were supposed to do, and we were looking around in the house for, you know, something that we could do. Now, we didn't have toys. Um, my parents couldn't afford anything like that. We didn't have iPads or TV or anything like that. So really what we had was our imagination. You know, we would make, let's say, a tent out of chairs and a blanket we had around. Um, and we would just use our imagination and play and so that's kind of how our days went by every day. But on that day when I was seven years old and we came home from school and as we're looking around for something to do in the house, what can we do today before mom and dad gets home? We noticed that the area rug we had in our living room, there was something underneath that area rug that was pushing it up. And so we pulled up that area rug and one of the tiles of our wooden floor was loose and as we picked that tile, we discovered a small hole in the floorboard of our little apartment, just big enough that our hands could fit in it. And we felt that there was something in that little hole. And as we pulled it out, it was a little book. And when we opened it up to the first page, on the very first page, it said, the Bible. Now, Leslie, we have never 
heard about the Bible before. We didn't know about the Bible. We didn't hear about it. We didn't go to church. We didn't hear God's name. We were not used to um, anything like this. But what we knew is that we loved to read. Hmm. Uh, my brother and I, we had about three books in our house, and they were Hungarian fairy tale books uh, that were from my grandparents and we used to actually gather up under our blanket at night uh, when mom and dad told us we needed to go to bed. And that was our big mischievous behavior at night, just under <laughs> a blanket with a flashlight that my uncle gave, gave to us. We would read those books over and over again. So we got really, really excited when we realized, wait a second, we have a new book in this house that we haven't read yet. And it's a big one. And it was a nice one. Yeah. Yes, it was. I mean, we we were just so amazed. And, you know, in school, what did they teach you about books? You read them starting on page one, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we were taught in school. And we opened up our little treasure we found to page one and we started reading God's word. And I just want to I just really want to encourage our listeners to just picture with me for a second. What would it be like if you put your hand on God's word, the Bible, for the first time ever? Mm. You never heard about it before. You haven't heard any of the stories. You have not heard them in Sunday school growing up. You don't know them by heart. And you start reading the creation story on page one. What would that feel like? You know, and as we were reading that story and as we were just imagining and trying to use our imagination uh, and, and capturing this story with our minds, I mean, we were absolutely amazed. We never heard anything like this. We never even entertained a question in our minds where we came from. We, we haven't thought about things critically before. And it made us think, like, is, is this, could this be true? God created everything around us, the trees, the, the birds, us. Is, is that possible? And we were just so excited, Leslie, just reading these stories. And then we all know those first stories at the very beginning of the Bible. Then Adam and Eve comes along and then the fall happens. And then some really not so nice things happen between Cain and Abel. And mm -hmm. by the time mom and dad came home that day, we were just past the story of Noah. And wow. that story really, really captured our hearts. I mean, think about it. The big boat that that could fit every animal in it and water that covered the entire earth. And we were trying to picture this and our imagination was going wild. And what I mostly recall from that day is just the awe, the mm -hmm. awe that we stood in reading God's word. And, and I want to challenge actually our listeners, uh, Leslie, if that's okay with you today, Please. just to, to really ask you this question. What, when was the last time that you read God's word with awe? Not that, oh, I, I know this story. I have read this story before. I have heard this story many times. I know how this story ends. But truly just sitting and reading God's word in awe. Mm. Um, I, I challenge myself with that question too. Not, not just all of you who are listening, but truly myself too. Because today, just like you, I have Bibles at my fingertips. Yeah. I have multiple Bibles at home, just like probably many of you do. And I just treasure 
um, those moments thinking back of how we treasured God's word. It wasn't just something that we were used to. Well, and even as you were talking there, Isabella, um, that, that truly is something that's hard for us in our culture, especially, you know, I grew up in the South where, it's very much a part of our culture to right. even, even today, largely to everybody knows about the Bible and things of the Lord. It's just, it's just always been there. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to imagine not, but, but one thing, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sorry to interrupt as you were getting ready to get back to something else, but as you're winding through, I want you to really help us understand for all of these children that you guys minister to through Operation Christmas Child and that we as families are able to participate in, which is so amazing to me, how how are they introduced to this amazing story that you guys were found, you know, by, by pulling up boards in your floorboard, which incidentally is like something you read in a book. That's not something that actually <laughs> happens to people. Um, so I, I, I think that that's so amazing that that's your actual story of how you found the Bible and how you first started learning who God was. Yeah, Leslie, this is one of my favorite, favorite things about Operation Christmas Child and, and the way you even put that question, like how... How do we make sure that children hear that story? Well, with every single shoebox that you and I pack, children receive this beautiful, colorful booklet called The Greatest Gift. And the greatest gift is all about Jesus. And the point of us giving this little booklet to the children is that they will hear a beautiful gospel presentation before the gifts even get into their hands from a local ministry partner that we have trained who are right there living in those countries where the children are receiving the shoeboxes. And then after they hear that gospel presentation, they receive their shoeboxes, and on top of their shoebox, they will be receiving every time with every shoebox this little booklet called The Greatest Gift, and it is always going to be in their heart language. Mm-hmm. So I love that about this ministry that we are so intentional about it. Now, this little booklet is basically a simplified version um, made in such a way that is colorful, it captures the eyes and the hearts of children. And it starts at creation and it goes through Jesus coming to the earth, being born, Jesus dying on the cross for each of us because he loves us that deeply. And then him coming back to life in three days so we can have life abundantly. Mm -hmm. They hear that story presented and then they get this beautiful little booklet. And then what happens They take that little booklet when they go home and they want their parents now to see it and to read it. And many of them cannot read. So even if they cannot read, the pictures tell the story. So they see Jesus coming to earth. They see him on the cross. They see him resurrected. They see lives changed. And so now it encourages their families. Now they invite their neighbors, their cousins. And beautiful thing that we get to be part of, that evangelism piece takes place right there, right? 
Then we invite these children back for a 12-week discipleship program. So invite them into discipleship. Mm -hmm. And then we are seeing beautiful multiplication happening in their communities, within their families. I mean, just absolutely beautiful things we get to be part of. It's not just a shoebox with items that make children happy. That happens. And it's beautiful. And I love to watch their faces, how Mm -hmm. excited they are. But those items eventually are going to wear out. What is going to stay with them is the story of redemption that Amen. they hear um, at the time of receiving their shoeboxes. So that is so incredibly powerful how the message of the gospel enters their lives. If it hasn't entered in some other way before, mm-hmm. that is the opportunity when the gospel truly enters um, their lives. So that's what we get to be part of. It's not just a shoebox with, filled with gifts. That's amazing. Do you all have any idea, and I'm not looking for a specific number here, but in in the areas that you go, for how many of these children or what percentage roughly, um, would this truly be their first introduction to anything about God or the Bible? Um, you know, you, you noted you had never heard of it. So how many of these kids, is that their story as well? Well, I don't know that I could pinpoint exactly a percentage that is very, very hard for us to measure. But what I can tell you is that we are unapologetically entering countries that are um, what we call hard to reach, meaning that they are not welcoming the gospel, just like Romania used to be during communism. We do not back down just just because a government says that the gospel shouldn't be shared or Unrich people groups. These are places all around the world where the gospel has not reached, either because they're extremely remote. Uh, For example, Pacific Islands. There is more than a thousand Pacific Islands that are out in the Pacific Ocean that are very, very, very hard to get to. And those islands... Uh, They don't have supply chains going. They kind of do everything internally themselves. And we are there. We go in. It takes us months to get these shoeboxes there, but we are there because we want to make sure that the gospel enters. So I cannot give you an exact percentage, but what I can tell you is that we do not back down. And we are going to go to hard-to-reach places that are not allowing the gospel. We are going to go to unreached people groups where less than 3% are Christians. Mm. And we are not going to back down. We actually started this initiative in the Pacific Islands um, about three years ago. And we have a goal to reach a 1,000 islands by the end of 2028. And I am just amazed at, at what God is doing in and through that. So just, just absolutely incredible. Uh, already 283,000 children have been reached just on those very remote Pacific wow. Islands. So wrap your head around that, right? Wow. 283,000 children already have been reached. Um, and and our goal is to reach at least 500,000 children, half a million. Um, so we, we are not going to back down. We are not going to stop just because the government says that the gospel is, is not allowed. And to break it down, maybe in some numbers that are easier to comprehend, just to give you an idea, every 24 hours, so 
think about a day, right? 24 hours. In 24 hours, because of Operation Christmas Child shoebox gifts, 28,957 children hear the gospel. Wow. Within 24 hours. And out of those, 3,912 reportedly accept Christ. (laughs) Every 24 hours, 3,912 accept Christ. Now, out of those 4,687, and I'm looking at at very specific numbers here that I have in front of me because I want to share very specific things with you. They commit to pray and share. That means that these children already know Christ. And now they recommit their lives and they commit to share um, with them. But if that is very big for you to wrap your head around it, we can zoom in a little bit. And we can look at 60 minutes, which is one hour. In one hour, 1,206 children hear the gospel and 163 accept Christ. Wow. the hour. And I can zoom in just a little bit more, Leslie. I think this is going to be just very tangible for a lot of the listeners. Every 60 minutes, so every minute, every minute that we sit here on this podcast, 20 children hear the gospel. Every minute. And three accept Christ. Amazing. Every minute. So by the time we finish this podcast, probably nearly 200 children have accepted Christ. Uh, And I'm just amazed at that, that that's how God uses simple shoebox gifts. Amen. Amen. I was, as you were going through that, my head was crowded with the, the vision of how Revelation talks about people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue around the throne, praising the King. And you know, just thinking that we get to play a part in that. We can't be in every place, going to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We couldn't even communicate with them. And yet God through you guys has made a way for us to participate in that ministry. And I stand in awe of that. So as we are winding down here, can you please share with our listeners how they can get involved in this ministry and maybe some ideas of ways that their families can take this upon themselves to really lock arms with their children and and really engage in ministering all around the world. Absolutely. I mean, what a simple concept, right? You take any shoebox. If you went and bought new shoes for the start of the new school year, you have a shoebox around mm-hmm. somewhere in your closet. You grab that shoebox. I would definitely recommend to wrap it in colorful paper. That was something that really stood out to me, how colorful my shoebox was in my black and white world that we lived in. <laughs> it just captures the hearts and the eyes of children. And then you take this simple little shoebox and fill it with school supplies. Some children will be able to go to school for the first time because this will be the first time they have school supplies. And just think about how that can change their lives. I hear stories all the time on how instead of ending up on the streets in a gang, they went to school and their lives were physically saved because of that. They did not end up on the streets where they could be killed. And instead, they heard the gospel. Um, and, and they were able to go to school. So school supplies, um, hygiene items, things like, I know a little washcloth means so much. A washcloth that a child would think of, I have my own towel. Literally, that's what they would think. <laughs> or a toothbrush. We no longer can put toothpaste in there because it has an expiration date. So don't put those in there. But I even gotcha. think we used to brush our teeth 
with our fingers and we had baking soda. I would be so excited if I had a toothbrush hmm. to use with that baking soda. That is so much more efficient than my finger. <laughs> and so putting a toothbrush in there or toys, you know, something that really captures a child's heart. I always, always with my children put a stuffed animal in every single shoebox because it's something they can hug, they can mm. love, they can hold on to. And so many of these children really need to experience just God's closeness and love and when they can hug something close by often they don't have families people who love them and that really huggable sweet little toy will help them with that Um, you know things that they can have fun with like a toy car or a slinky a soccer ball that you can get soccer balls deflated with a pump attached to it and a ball is something that i have seen that is an international language every child knows what to do with a ball Every child knows what to do with a ball. And then don't forget to, to do a personal little touch to your shoebox. I, I always encourage people, write a note, even if it's something as simple as praying for you, God loves you. And if you can, put in a picture maybe of your family. Often children can, can relate uh, to people much better um, when, when they see a picture, one of the biggest questions in my mind when I receive my shoebox gift is, who would do this for me? Wow. Why? And who would do this for me? So when you have a little note and a picture, it allows the child to make that connection and just say, wow, this family right here that I'm seeing in this picture or this little girl or this little boy packed this shoebox for me and it makes it more meaningful to them. So it is so very simple. You pack that box and then you don't have to mail it. You don't have to do anything like that with it. What you want to do is hold on to those boxes that you pack until the third week of November. And on the third week of November, go on our website, samaritanspurs.org OCC. And we have on our website on the main page, a zip code locator. And you put in your zip code where you live. And when you push search, it is going to pop up right there for you, the closest drop-off location near you. We partner with about 5,000 churches across the country during the third week of November. And those churches open their doors and they say, come on by and drop off your shoeboxes. And it's literally as simple as you put in that address into your GPS, you drive to that church, Our goal is to make sure that nobody has to drive more than 15 to 20 minutes to drop off their shoebox. And you drop off your shoebox and you are done. And then we will take that shoebox and from there they will go to processing centers across the country. We have eight different processing centers where we make sure that uh, everything that is in the box can go through customs. We prepare them for, for international shipping. And from there they spread out around the world to 150 different countries. And that's what you get to be part of. You spread out along this globe, uh, around the globe to 150 different countries where your shoeboxes can go. So what is your goal this year for the number of shoeboxes you would really love to get in so that you can take them out all around the world? Yes, we have a very, very big, ambitious, God-sized goal that we believe God can 
do through people like us, right? Uh, and our goal for this year is to collect 9.7 million shoe boxes. Wow. 9.7 million. And you know, Leslie, one of the one of the things about Operation Christmas Child, every year we start at zero. Hmm. Every new year we start all over at zero. And we believe that this year God will allow us to collect 9.7 million shoeboxes. Last year, in the middle of a pandemic, we have collected 9.1 wow. million shoebox gifts. So I very much believe that this big God-sized goal of 9.7 million is very doable because of people who are listening right now who are going to grab a shoebox and and pack a shoebox. And if you don't want to wrap your shoeboxes, because some people say I'm not very good at wrapping a shoebox <laughs> in, in colorful paper, that's okay. You can go on our website and you can get our branded shoeboxes that are so easy to put together. They come in a pack of 50, the corrugated carton shoeboxes, or in a pack of 12 if you would like to get the really nice and sturdy plastic ones. Hmm. And they are not very expensive. You can order them. They show up at your door. And again, you can do that at our website, samaritanspurs.org slash OCC. So we have no excuse. That's right. That is right. Well, and honestly, as you were talking about it, we have always, we have four children and it was always tradition when they were growing up, they each got to pack their own box. They got to choose their own, you know, boy, girl, age group, all of that stuff. And so as I was thinking about the families that are listening in, there are an awful lot of children that could participate in this um, to cover a lot of those 9.7 million boxes. Mm. So, um, and, and the return is just incredible. I mean, the, the things that my children learned through participating yes. in this, um, I'm still seeing the fruit of today as they are, I've got two in their 20s, one almost there and, and one in high school. And you just see their heart for other people, their recognition of the fact that it's not about me, their desire to give and to show love to people that they don't even know. And I don't think that that we can overstate the impact on the families and the children that participate in this um, on this side of the the ocean, Absolutely. as well as on the lives of those um, that we talk so much more about, the ones that hear the gospel and the impact that we're having over there. But don't under underestimate everyone the impact that that actually engaging in a mission that is sending the gospel around the world will have on your own family when you do. Absolutely. I have seen that, Leslie, in, in my family as well. Uh, my children are nine and 11 right now. And, you know, they, they just learned through this ministry how to think mm -hmm. outside of themselves. Yep. One of my favorite things that we do as a family every year, we take the $9 suggested donation that, that should accompany every shoebox and we pay that $9 donation online. This, this $9 donation covers that greatest gift booklet in their own language that I talked about. It also covers the processing um, and then the shipping costs to get to another country. So a lot of things, also the training for our, our ministry partners. But what we do, we pay this $9 donation online. And mm -hmm. when you do that, instead of sending in a check in the re business return envelope, um, when you do that, you actually receive an email sometime around January, February, um, and they will tell you where your shoeboxes have gone, what country. 
And it's our favorite thing. We have a map in our house and we put little pins on that map every year with where our shoeboxes have gone. That's awesome. And it develops this beautiful habit we have as a family to be intentionally praying for the children in those particular countries. It is, it's not going to boil it down for you to the name of the child, but you are right. going to know what country they're in. And we can be praying for our ministry partners on the ground in that country. We can be praying for the effectiveness of the gospel mm. in that country. We can be praying for the hearts of the children to be softened and opened to the gospel. We can be praying for multiplication to happen as these children bravely take on the task of sharing their faith if they accept Christ themselves themselves and then going out and sharing within their community. So it's just such a beautiful broadening of, of the vision of my own children to think that there is more, you know, they, they go to a Christian school. We go to church every Sunday. They kind of live in a safe bubble right. here. And I'm, I'm grateful for that, but to allow them to see this world as a much bigger place outside of their little bubble, they, they are privileged to live in. And, and truly zone in and praying for those particular countries where our shoeboxes are doing ministry on our behalf because we sit down in the comfort of our home and we pack shoeboxes. Hey, that's, it's just so exciting. It's, it's an amazing opportunity for families, an amazing opportunity for individuals, for groups. This would be a great thing to get your co-op involved in. Yes. Um, you know, your, your sports organizations, whatever, this is an outstanding way to bring a group of people together and to do something that will impact lives all around the world. So Isabella, thank you so much for joining us again today. It is always a joy to, to just talk to you. So thank you for hanging out with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Leslie. And thank you to the listeners. And I would just love to leave you with a verse from Isaiah 49, 6. When, when Jesus says, I will make you as a light for the nations hmm. that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's wow. what you get to be part of, that God's salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So thank you for listening today. And hopefully you will go back and listen to my whole story on how actually I received that shoebox uh, with the other episode that Leslie's going to link in. Yes, yes, absolutely do. Um Absolutely. Let your let your vision for this ministry really be expanded and go out, participate this year. I start a new tradition if this is if this is not something that you've been doing. I love the idea of the map and of actually mm -hmm. tracking all of the places where your family has impacted children and the people who love those children and the people who come in contact with those children. Um it's a profound ministry. And so I encourage you to participate. I will give you lots of links in the show notes to help facilitate that. I made notes of all of the ideas that she gave us of, of good things to put in, some things that I had never thought of. Um, and, and not even, like she talked about the teddy bear. I thought about putting a teddy bear in, but it never really dawned on me that that is something to hug when they have no one else to hug. Mm -hmm. That's so foreign to me, and yet it is profound. And so I encourage you to, to really thoughtfully stuff those shoeboxes with, with things that are going to impact them practically, because 
as we meet physical needs, as we, as we do things for them that they can physically, tangibly enjoy, we are opening the door for, for us, for others to meet their spiritual needs while they're over there. So thank you again, Isabella. Thank you guys for hanging out with us today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.